Welcome to November's edition of BBRO Beatcast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and Knowledge Exchange Manager for BBRO. This month, the nights have drawn in and we encourage you to use that time around the kitchen table to consider what you can do to improve the soil health and your yields for next year. We're going to catch up with Dr Simon Bowen and Dr Georgina Barrett to hear all about the Soil Health Scorecard produced by the AHDB and partly funded by BBRO and also hear from Georgina about what you could do to mitigate drought for next year. With no further ado, let's catch up with Simon. Here we are today, wind's blowing quite heavily as you can probably hear and we are busy at the Eubrink site. This is one of our demo farms and I'm joined by Dr Simon Bowen and we're actually looking at the soil health scorecard because this is something that the AHDB have just released and it's something that we've as BBRO have partly funded. Uh, before we get into that, can we just have a quick chat about what's going on here at Eubrink? Because obviously this is one of our demo farm sites and we've got all the variety strips here. Do you want to just tell me what we're looking at, please, Simon? Yes, so, hello, Tris. Yes, so as on most of our demo sites, what we like to do is take each variety from the uh, RL and uh, drill it out across the field. So we've got large strips across the field. Uh, and we monitor those through the seasons. And sometimes we find that quite useful, not just for growers to come and have a look at the varieties on the RL list. Sometimes we see some properties and characteristics which are obviously agronomically relevant, and we make a note of those. So we've been following these varieties through the treatment. As you can see, as we just walk past them, there's quite some big differences between the strips just now. You've got some varieties which are still very vigorous, very green. Some are certainly much less uh, vigorous canopies. And also, if you start looking closely, you'll begin to see some of the varieties with more disease, less disease. On this site here, we've got a, quite a bit of rust and some levels of Cercospora. As we know from the Cercospora risk warning system we've run, it's not been a high risk year, but there is a level of Cercospora in here. And even actually, if you walk across varieties, you can just begin to see some of the differences between the varieties. And collecting that information is really useful to support supplementary information to the RL. Yeah, so it's going to be great to see that. We can't release any data until we actually lift the crop. And that's probably where we're looking a little bit today because it's what's happening under the ground is the bit that's really important. So let's just talk a little bit about this soil health scorecard that's being released because obviously we're in the middle of a sugar beet field so you, this wouldn't be the ideal place to do a test. But where should growers carry out a soil sample to test? Well, I think... First of all, just to remind us of the, the, one of the reasons for doing a soil health check, that uh, for growers it gives you a really good baseline of where your soil health is. Now, a number of you probably have started doing these kind of checks already, but many of you haven't. But certainly as we move in and as, as initiatives like ELMS and the Sustainable Farming Initiative come in, we're all going to be required to assess and monitor soil health much more carefully over time. So one of the reasons for doing this is to give yourself a good benchmark and we believe actually doing doing a test now in the autumn and probably particularly in land ahead of sugar beet and i think that's where the value is for sugar beet because we know sugar beet responds really well to good improved soil health we've seen that through initiatives such as the byc etc so actually doing a an assessment in uh, autumn we like to do that particularly now as the soil's wetted up uh, and going into a field and probably in approximately a 10 metre meters. circle, uh, digging some samples to do your VES assessment, so that's your physical assessment of soil structure, doing your earthworm counts, and then from that circle, taking your soil samples uh, to send away for the lab for organic matter, 
pH, uh, P, K and M, G. Uh, and the soil scorecard also has a couple of additional tests, which won't be for everybody, but they are actually useful. They are tests which look at the kind of biological function of the soil. One looks at potentially mineral mineralizable nitrogen so that's looking at how effective nitrogen is being converted from the organic matter and the other one is the co2 burst test which is actually measuring respiration of the microbes in the soil we've done a lot of work looking at that so there are two additional measures which won't be for everybody but if you're after a bit more interest extra information about soil health there one you do so there's a suite of eight eight measures there which comprise the the scorecard so would you say normal soil sampling is now unnecessary if you're doing the soil health scorecard? Well, I, I, first of all, i say the soil health test is probably not to replace what you do for your normal soil sampling for nutrient analysis. Uh, I think uh, this is to give you extra information around soil health. So think about where you want to place that, where you want those uh, circles, in areas which you are representative of the field. So you will, in some fields, have variations in soil type. Actually, in the field here at Ubrick, it's very uniform. But keep off the headlands and wheelings and such like, but it's there to give you a representative indication of your soil health. Just bear in mind, if you've uh, used muck, and that's been spread differentially in fields, you need to be aware of that historically. Or even if fields have been split cropping types in the past, you need to think about that. So you don't necessarily need to follow the plan exactly, but you sample the field across a wide range of spots so that you get a, a, a really fair uh, representative of what's there. So let's go and find a little spot and dig a hole and see what we can find. Right, so we've moved over to the adjacent field and um, I'm going to let you do the digging for me, Simon. That's a lovely soil sample you've got there, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, this is a lovely uh, silty clay loam, as you can see. So I'm digging down to about 20 centimetres uh, spade depth and around 20 metres uh, square. 20 centimetres. 20, what did I say? Metres. Oh, 20, <laughs> 20 centimetres, all right. Yeah. Yeah, please don't dig a hole, I might say so. Well, you could do, but you might be there sometime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what I'm initially looking at is looking at the, uh, the structure of the soil. We call that the VESS assessment. Now, I'm not going to talk you through the details of that, but we've got really good information on that on our website and in our reference book. But I'm actually looking and making an assessment of the soil structure. So I'm looking at how blocky it is, how well it breaks down. I'm obviously looking for any layers of uh, compaction, etc., uh, which is a really important assessment. I'm also at this point looking to see if there's any earthworms present. Uh, I'm not seeing any at the moment, but there will be some there. That's one of the reasons... Uh, we're digging down, but that's what, that, that's what we want to do as well. So really, those are really two important assessments. So we're assessing the physical and the earthworm. Uh, and then I'll obviously be collecting some soil samples from these areas to send away for the lab as well. And you say about earthworms, there are, I mean, there are loads of species, but there's actually three different types. There's one that lives in the, the top surface. There's one that lives in the, in the actual top soil itself a little bit further down. And then we've got the deep burrowing worm, haven't we? Yeah. So does it matter how many of each type we have or is it a case of just assessing the fact you found worms? No, I think it's the important thing of the soil. It's, a, it's a very much a baseline assessment. So we don't go to that level of detail of, of recording different types. It's pretty much the number. And one of the uh, parts of the project over the last five years has been getting to what we think is a good benchmark figure. So actually what would we expect to see in soils where we think are healthy? And actually the value is about eight. So I'm looking to see in the pit if I can get probably more than eight earthworms, I'll be quite comfortable. Yep. If I've got lower numbers, I'll be thinking about why haven't I got as many earthworms as perhaps I would like to have. 
So, and it's been taken quite a while to establish that base mine, but we've taken our time to get it across a whole range of soil types and, of course, different cropping re regimes as well. Now, unfortunately, we're not getting a lot here. I'm beginning to come across some uh, slightly more compacted areas. So uh, when I kind of sit down and break it out and do a, probably a bit more of a detailed analysis on it, I suspect this might not quite be in where we want it to be in terms of soil structure. But that's the importance of actually probably doing a number of these digs around the field because I may be on an old wheeling or an area where there's been a lot of... Uh, uh, vehicle movement in the past so it's yeah. important you do do a number of, number of those digs when you're doing your soil health assessment yeah. and it is a point of getting down to that 20 centimeters because you sort of yep. two three centimeters can be quite misleading can't it yeah and uh you've got to remember it's been such an unusually dry year you know that, that lack of moisture you can still see at that depth you know i'm now down at 20 centimeters and it's beginning to get quite dry quite wet but you do need to try and get down and get a good depth through the profile to see what uh, what's going on and we've got a number of growers and i'm sure quite a few of you listening are, are thinking i've got poor soil and there's not a lot i can do about it that's not quite the same we, you, you definitely can't change the type of soil but there's always something you can do to improve what you've got is that no and i think one of the uh, really important parts of the project which we've been working on the last five years is not just about measuring it it's about measuring it in different situations where different practices have been deployed and very clearly the uh, the soil scorecard is, is very sensitive to showing differences so if I just pick out a couple of examples if we go to land with and without manure and see a, quite a big difference in the scorecarding so things like the vest the physical structure earthworms soil organic matter and, and the biological activity if you remember I was talking about that carbon dioxide I think often much higher so it goes to show where that manure has been used Used, uh, it's, it's much healthier as and the scorecard tends to validate that so it's kind of useful we've looked at things in different pH situations and as you know we've talked about that pH on sugar beet before it's very sensitive crops so it's very important we manage that the other ones are the use of cover crops for example and on balance we tend to get a higher soil health scorecard where cover crops have been used often used more than once through the rotation it's quite nice uh, and the big question which lots of our growers ask us just watching us uh, heard a deer run across the field yeah, yeah. <laughs> lovely sight don't think we've frightened them off no. they're uh, going at pace <laughs> but one, one of the big questions is actually is where growers are practicing reduced tillage does that actually result in a uh, improved soil health it's a really interesting question that because what the soil scorecard is showing us that whilst yes it can affect some of the properties overall it doesn't necessarily result in, in, in a decline in the scorecarding score so particularly where you have where you've been ploughing and what it's telling us is that whilst reduced tillage may be an advantage if you do have to put the plough in once in a while you're not kind of resetting whole of that soil back to zero again and the crops can recover so I don't think we have to get hung off of this we have to be completely into tillage uh, there may be a time and a place and that will be relevant particularly for sugar beet on some soil types that we might have to put the plough in the land but be comfortable it won't kind of completely destroy your soil structure and your soil health and unfortunately, there is no quick fix. I mean, when you're looking at amendments, I know we've got a, a plot over at Terrington that you've looked at quite a bit with um, ADAS. And we're looking at long term, aren't we? 20 odd we years are. Are to see a real difference. Uh, and, and I think that's the same with use of cover crops as well. Uh, we tend to see the, the advantage in terms of performance of the crop and, thus, and the soil health scorecard go up the more times that practice is deployed across the rotation. And we have to be really careful that soil, managing soil health is a rotational uh, 
challenge. It's not just a specific crop month. Yeah, yeah. and it is making sure you know that what you've got in the soil, what you if you're putting it in a cover crop, what is going to be in that rotation going yeah. forward. And, and another thing about the long term is a really important point. I mean, trying to move soil organic matter. I mean, it takes a long time, and there'll be some fields, particularly some really light blowaway sands, you'll fail to increase it. We've tried, and I know a number of growers have tried, so we just can't do it. But actually, to move the soil organic matter, even by a half a percent, requires quite a long-term investment in terms of different practices, uses of manures, maybe some uh, reduced tillage, cover crops. It's not a quick fix. No, but it's worth people looking at it because it does make a big difference it to does. the crop when we can get this right, isn't it? Yeah, and I think one of the things we've learnt uh, from the BYC, which has been running concurrently with the Soil Health Project, is clearly where growers have been doing that over a number of years, those kind of practices, it, we see better yields, but more importantly, and I think in the context of this year, is they recover from stresses such as drought quicker and faster. And often the, the recovery of a soil, uh, you know, following an event such as the summer drought we've had, is obviously more important. And healthier soils definitely do that faster and more effectively, and more well, efficiently. And they'll be easier to manage as well, easier to get your seed bed and everything else in. So Absolutely. It's, yeah. It really should be the, the first thing that people look at when they're going into a field is Absolutely. what's the soil health like yeah. and then how do I best farm this in future absolutely yes. um, we've got lots of information on our website that has come out of the great soils project as a whole uh, at the areas that have been sponsored by bbro but that has now come to an end doesn't it that, it that has project? yeah so that that finished in uh, 2022 uh, so all those assessments all those long-term monitorings of those sites where the different management practices have gone on and we have got a pretty comprehensive suite of information now on our website which you can go and have a read about that or turn to go to the HDB website it's all there as well it's absolutely right that it was a five-year project I think so we could allow seasonal impact impacts to be looked at and it has taken a bit of time to make sure that scorecard is absolutely benchmarked and validated so when you use that as a grower you know it means something yeah and I know there's a brilliant video on our yeah. website as well with Liz Stockdale talking us through actually doing a soil health scorecard yourself and that is really worth a watch but as we've invested some money and obviously your time into carrying out some of this work we as BBRO will be slowly drip feeding this information through the next few months to make sure that growers can make the most of the information available to them. I think and also more importantly from that this work has actually allowed us to understand where we've got gaps in our knowledge uh, and that's allowing myself and Dr Georgina Barrett to put a proposal together to actually say we need to know more about this so there's some unanswered questions around cover crops some unanswered questions around tillage uh, and even actually around FYM we want to understand so it's, it's actually signposting where BBRO research on the soils needs to go in a kind of fairly targeted way because it's such a massive topic isn't it yes, yes. and I know we will be looking to get those new projects underway in the next season or two. Are you looking for any growers to host things or grower um, engagement from this? So that's a re really good question Ches because actually doing this kind of work on soil health is not something we can do it as our traditional traditional small plots. We need to work with large areas, whether they're strips or tramline trials. And what we will be looking to do is to set up a little bit of a BBRO soils expert group where we engage with one or two growers and ask them to help us and join in and actually kind of allow us to undertake some of the assessments on things they're doing or even try some other soil management practices as well. It's definitely blowing a gale here at Ubrink, so I'm going to leave Simon in field and go in search of our next guest.
I'm now joined here by Dr Georgina Barrett. You've been working as well on a lot of soil health along with Simon and he's alluded to the drought work that you've been doing in our earlier conversations. What do you think the impact of soil health would be on those that have suffered drought this year? So soil health is really key uh, when we think about drought. Uh, we have a tendency to sort of jump down the line and, and look at solutions later on in the season. Can I irrigate? What have I done? Can I put some biostimulants on? All these sorts of other things that we look at later. But really our management can start before the beet crop even goes into the ground. Uh, so making sure we're preserving soil moisture, minimising tillage and reducing soil movement is really important might not be an option to all growers. Obviously growers on heavier soils might not be able to do that. They're gonna to have to go in. Creating a fine tilth is obviously still very important to, to establishment of the beet. But if we don't have to go in and do that, if we can reduce our tillage, that's a good place to start. Another really key consideration is for those growers that use cover crops. Cover crops when they're growing, are using water, they're taking water out of the soil profile. Again, this means that there's a deficit when the beet crop goes in, if it's going to be dry. So thinking about our destruction of our cover crop and our timing of that destruction, getting it dead, getting it gone, to make sure that the water's conserved in the soil by the time the beet goes in. Touching on that point, how long are you actually saying that, you know, normally we'd say that it has to be cleared six weeks before we put the crop in. Are you saying we need to leave longer than that? No, six weeks is a good place to be at that we usually advise that for the green bridging aspect and making sure the cover crop is very dead, uh, but that does also have the benefit in time for reducing water loss um, through the cover crop into the season. So yeah, six weeks is still the way to go and will still be our guidance. And is there any difference between the cover crops as to which ones will absorb more water in the soil or not? Is it something that we could look into? So we do have data um, looking at water uptake from different cover crop mixes and species uh, as part of the work done during Jake Richards' PhD. Uh, and that thesis is available on the BBRO website if people are interested in looking at that data. So another thing is going in and understanding if you've got any areas of compaction, any capping on your soils uh, and alleviating any problem areas, uh, getting those freer, easier draining uh, and also really crucial to beet is rooting depth. So beet can root over a metre down into the soil profile and this is really critical for water uptake. See, the deeper we get, the more water that can be accessed and the more resilient the crop is when we get a dry spell. So anything you can do to alleviate any form of compaction and ensure good rooting to depth will help make the crop more resilient to drought. And all growers know their fields pretty well, so they'll know the problem areas. Often it's a case that they don't have the time to do, you know, they, they think go in, do the whole field, but that's not necessary, is it? No, it isn't. It isn't. You can see even in previous crops, as you, you said, people know the history of their fields. If there is an area that's at risk, you can just focus your tillage in that area. Uh, and even in the most extreme cases, um, avoid drilling those areas, which we know are real problem areas uh, within the field. And this time of year is probably the ideal because we've had some rain, but if you've got a really dry spot, it would still show now, wouldn't it? Yes, precisely. Now is a really great time to see where you have and haven't got these issues um, with compaction uh, based on the water availability and how the crop's performing. Looking at wilting basically across the field will give you a good indication of whether your crops are accessing the water they need at depth. So I think probably the message to the growers is, yes, we've got drought and with climate change, we're going to have it more often. So you know, get out there now, start assessing your soil and making some changes. Yeah, definitely. I think a really positive note with sugar beet is the crop does perform relatively well under drought compared to some other species in the rotation. And so a little change can make a big difference to the performance of the crop when it comes to drought and resilience. Yeah, so thank you very much for joining me, Georgina. Thank you very much, Ches.
As mentioned, more details of the topics we've discussed are available on the BBRO website, uh, the soil health bit being under soil matters. Now for the all-important basis number to claim one point, and it's CP forward slash 122997 forward slash 2223 forward slash K. I hope you enjoyed this edition and will join us again in December for the Christmas special, which will be Dr. Alistair Wright talking about his trip to America. But don't worry, it will be sugar beet related. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.